Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to a special edition of the Share Life Podcast. In this session, we're going to engage in an interactive discussion about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was betrayed and arrest, uh, betrayed by Ju- Judas and then arrested. Um, this discussion is part of my next book project, Discovery Process, From the Garden to the Cross, How Jesus' Harrowing Mission Shows Us the Way Forward. So I'm Jason Scott Montoya, author and creator, sharing stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Today, I'm joined by Allison, Benji, and Thomas. Allison, say hello. Hello. Allison is an author who is pointing women towards Jesus while also mentoring them on how to practically flourish in their life, relationships, and dreams. Thomas Horrocks is a pastor. Say hello. Hey, everybody. Um, He's a pastor, writer, tweeter extraordinaire, and podcaster exploring what Jesus' teachings really mean and how do they apply to our lives today. Uh, Benji Hollis. Benji, say hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Benji is the vice president of sales for the annual Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and also involved in a multi-million dollar legacy fund inspired by his daughter's devastating battle with acute myeloid, how do do I say that, myeloid, (laughs) leukemia that brought him to Jesus and that helps raise money for the development of the disease's cure. So before we jump into the discussion specific to Jesus' betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to start by talking about the origin of this project for me and how that intersects with this particular part of the story. So when we look around at the church as a whole, there's a gigantic gap between who we are now and the version of Jesus, the version of us that Jesus intends for us to become. And ultimately that's manifest in his model and example. So daily we're bombarded, bombarded, bombarded (laughs) with stories of how Jesus followers are betraying him and how we conduct their lives and interact, interact with others. Why are we often elevating power above service? Why isn't the transformative power of Jesus changing us for the better? What false teachings have we wrongly brought into our lives? And ultimately, you know, in, in this, just looking around, um, the church is changing dramatically. And so my question to you, to you three is what's going on. And, and I think for me, you know, when I think about it, it, part of at a, at a higher level, the question or the, the observation is the further we get away from the cross, it seems the closer we become, the more like the people in the story that we become that are not Jesus, those that flee, those that betray, those that accuse. Um, and there's something to the, the story of the cross that I think gives us an, an answer. Um, but what, what do you guys think? What do you think is going on there? Who wants to start? <laughs> uh, sure, I'll talk. Um, yeah, you know the 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 scary thing about about the about what's going on and where we're at is the people in that story. Um, they were on the way to the, the cross hadn't even happened. Yeah, and we're sitting here following the cross and have um, God's word and and the gospels that talk about it, and yet we're still as a society shifting away um, further and further from the cross um, and from, from God, unfortunately. And um, I think it's just a good reminder 
uh, first off, that God is in control. There are no surprises to him. Um, and we know how this is all going to end. Um, but um, as you were talking about, one of the questions was, why haven't we been transformed? But it's, you know, it says in the Bible that it's glory by glory, bit by bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, every day is part of the sanctification. So, yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, when I, when I talk with people that are not Christians or people <clears throat> that are newer Christians, um, you know, it, it often, we are often talking about Christians, the failure of Christians <laughs> in terms of the obstacles to them and their faith, which isn't new. Um, but it's, it's certainly a, something that's prominent for sure. Thomas, yeah, what do you I mean, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, the church, it's a room full of sinners. <laughs> yeah. So how do we, re how do we reconcile that? Cause we are supposed to be the light, but yet we're seem to be full of darkness. So I remember a few years ago um, when the book Unchristian came out and uh, from Barna and they had to study asking non-Christians what they perceived to be of Christians. And I think if I remember correctly, I'm going off the top of my head, but it was like, uh, the, the top three were um, too judgmental, too hypocritical, and too involved in politics. And it was like in the 70s and 80 percentiles that, that we were judged that way. And so the, the reason I think where I think that disconnect is, is uh, nobody would really care that we were hypocrites if we weren't judgmental, right? So I think it's the combination of those two that um, a lot of times we, in the, you know, white evangelical church, which I think captures most of us in this Zoom room, um, we have a history of focusing on the things that are outside of us uh, instead of trying to take care of ourselves first. So we, we've become known far more for what we stand against than who and what we stand for. Um, and so when you have that kind of judgmental posture and hypocritical hypocrisy inside the church, it's a pretty deadly combination. Um, I think if we weren't so judgmental and we were focusing on ourselves, people wouldn't care. They'd say, yeah, I'm a hypocrite too. Um, but that judgmental stance, yeah. I think. And is that judgmental stance, uh, is that an, a pride and an arrogance driven? Um, and is it a you, not me kind of thing? Or how, how would you, how would you mm -hmm. just dive into that a little bit deeper? Well, I think so. I mean, if, if you look at the things that historically the, the, the church has been so staunchly against um, over the past couple of decades, it's been things that most people don't really deal with, right? So we've, we've been known for being um, uh, crusading against LGBT people, right, in, in legislature and, you know, trying to write laws that keep people, you know, get people from getting married and standing against um, abortion, but oftentimes without coming alongside the women who are who are facing those difficult challenges, especially, um, you know, speaking for men in particular, it, those are things that most of us don't experience, don't have to deal with. And so it's easy for us to take a moral high ground and point to those things. And we don't deal with the things that we struggle with um, or wrestle with instead, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess to, to the, the question of like, you know, as Christians, Christ should be transforming us. How do you all, how do you reconcile the fact that that's not entirely happening in a lot of cases or in a lot of seasons of our life? First <laughs> off, it should. 
yeah. I'd have to ask like, what, what are you basing that on? What, I mean, what, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Yeah. Um, so it's day by day and we truly won't, you know, be in his image until we're standing before him. Mm. Um, so are you just talking about the sinful nature of, of mankind or, well, like you kind of mentioned it in your story, like before and after, you know, the tragedy you faced there, what, how would you kind of reconcile that, that transformation that occurred and, and how would you look at the past version of yourself, um, through that, through that lens? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it all happened through, I mean, listen, before my daughter got sick and we went through this, I, I was said I was a professed to be a Christian, a believer in, in, in Christ and God, but I would break him out. I kept him in a little jar in my back pocket and um, would bust him out, you know, when, when things happen mm-hmm. uh, in the hospital, there was no getting through it, um, except to be totally reliant on, on him and being in there, you know, I was still praying for my daughter's miraculous recovery for him to heal her. You know, I read all those books, just, you know, when you pray, pray like it's already been done. And I was praying for outcomes and, Mm. you know, a lot of times, you know, God, he, he's answering us. It says in Job, you know, I answer you once, I answer you twice, but you're not paying attention. And, you know, a lot of times we're just looking for God's answers to mesh kind of with what, what we're looking for. And, and I think it was, I think I can't remember who said it, but it said as, as humans, we're so worried about um, how, you know, things turn out, but God's more concerned with how we turn out. Yeah. And so for me personally, going through what I went through in the hospital, it was being reliant on him each and every day through um, reading of scripture, through praying, through fellowship, through, I mean, just getting up each and every day and, 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 and seeking him. Um, and then when I got out of the hospital, it was the same. And so yeah. Mine was through suffering and through pain um, is where we actually found hope, which is, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And, you know, I feel like we're all part of the society, which is all about pleasures and self-gratification. And, you know, there's so much stuff going on and, and with the different screens and all the distractions that if you're not being, um, dialing into God each and every day, then, then you'll drift away. So sometimes it takes suffering and, and heartache to, to draw you close to him. Yeah. So do you, do you look at your past self, like with a level of grace through that lens then? Sure. I mean, yeah. Look, <laughs> for me, I was, I mean, I made a ton of bad decisions. I heard a lot of people, including myself. Um, and what was killing me was the guilt and the shame that was coming from it. And I don't think I really realized what the gospel and what Christ did for us. And so when I went to the doctor um, to go see a a psychologist, um, we were talking about it, about all the guilt and the shame. And he looked at me and he said, well, 
don't I think that's pretty grandiose of you, don't you think, to continue to hold on to that that shame and that guilt? And I looked at him and I said, Well, why do you say that? And he said, Well, don't you think that Christ dying on that cross for you was enough for you to let that go? And and if, at that point, yeah, and that made sense to me. And it was the first time in my life when I really realized um, that because of the love of Jesus and what he did for us, that only through him do I have a new beginning and clean slate. And that it changed my life. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, that's, you know, we sit there and talk about how, you know, men are hypocrites, people are hypocrites, we all are. And I hate it for the people that are letting the actions of humans <laughs> prevent them from getting to know God because yeah. um, as humans, we'll, we'll mess up about anything if you give us the chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, what would you, uh, what would you add to that? What, what's the way in which we can view this that, that helps us better navigate it? Just to, um, add another level to what you're saying, Benji. You know, my experience as a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old, but for 36 years, I lived believing that I was a Christian, um, but I was making very poor choices in my life. Um, I was hurting myself. I was hurting other people, my children, uh, people that were in my life. And it really wasn't until, I mean, I went through some extreme suffering, a lot of different events, decades of events. And um, it was at the point that I lost the person that was the most precious to me through divorce and uh, that I loved dearly. And it was at that point in my life where I hit the bottom and just was like, I don't think I can live anymore. I just, I have about this much hope left in my life and I don't know how to make it happen. And um, that was when God really awakened me. I had not ever really understood the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us. And um, he truly awakened me. And it was at that point where I realized that the depth of his love for me. I mean, I went on a, a seek journey, seeking him. And like you said, you know, reading the Bible every day. Um, it wasn't in my own strength. It was completely through the power of the Holy Spirit. But through that, that was in 2006. So over the last years, you know, as you say, it's glory to glory. And so at some point, you know, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, I believe, and I believe we all do as Christians, we just have to yield to that as believers. Mm -hmm. And so yielding to that daily and creating that um, space in our life to be able to um, seek him in his word and really understand and live that out. And it, it, for me, it comes down to the bottom line of, of service. And is it, am I serving you or am I serving God? Am I here because 
you want me to be something you want me to be, or am I here because our great God put us here and out of his love, you know, I have people in my life or circumstances in my life that I'm to serve him in. And my service to him actually ends up being how I interact with you, Jason, or Horik or Benji, or anyone I love. And, um, and sometimes that means saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I believe that we just don't, we don't, I mean, it comes back to, is it my will or God's will? Is, am I looking for self-gratification or am I looking to really serve God and love him in the way that he loves me, which I could never do. Yeah. You know, the depth of his love for me is far beyond anything that I could ever. Yeah. Have. Yeah. And, and it, it seems like with our will, um, and to your point, Benji, like it's so easy for us to just, at least the illusion of us manipulating God for our benefit, um, while retaining the will, <laughs> getting what we, the benefits of having a relationship with God and then just ignoring everything else. <laughs> but it's so easy for us to just fall into that, that dynamic. Um, so what, what is it that's, you know, how do we, how do we embrace that ourselves out of that? And how do we uh, help others do the same? What would you say? Yeah. Benji. I feel like I'm talking too much here. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I it says in what first current uh second Corinthians one, it says God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any of their troubles. Mm. Um and <laughs> I just think that we have to look at what we've been through and where God has stepped in in our lives and helped us. And then, you know, just through scripture right there, it just says that really the things that we go through aren't, aren't for our, for us, it's for others. And yeah. that, you know, continue to, to have a heart of service and to love others. Um, I know when my, when my daughter passed away and I still deal with it, I mean, it hadn't been three years since she's been gone, but, you know, self-pity is, is a dangerous thing. You know, if we could all just grieve, and just deal with things in a simple way be so much easier but there's just layers upon layers upon layers you know now we're wearing masks even on top of it um there's just so much to deal with and um it really helps i know i've had some dark days but when i make an effort to go to breakfast and meet with some of the guys from my church and our small group or our pastor and just talk about God and share what he's doing in our lives and, and just having an understanding that, um, that the person across from me loves me, you know, and cares about me. I always leave um, those breakfasts or lunches feeling better and, and lifted up. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the dangerous things too that has been hard through this pandemic is just the isolation. And I know people have always said, hey, you don't really have to go to church. You can watch it on a screen. And I always thought that until the pandemic. <laughs> and to me, the community, the fellowship, being around each other, um, I think that's critically important. Yeah. So 
we're going to jump into the passage where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Um, I think betrayal, it's something we all have felt that deeply. I think um, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all betrayed others in various ways and uh, various times. And, and we've been the, the recipient of that betrayal as well. What is, uh, you know, when you think about betrayal, like what is it that comes to your mind? What, and, and how does, how does that something that you relate to or connect with or don't? Allison. I just think, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone and um, they trust you and they trust you to do what is best for them. Yeah. Um, either you lie, you deceive. Mm -hmm. You, I mean, there's so many ways people can be betrayed. Yeah. But deceit, I guess, is really... Um, what comes to my mind. Um, I mean, as, as Judas enters this picture, um, he's been trust entrusted by, by Jesus and others. And he's betrayed that for trust already in terms of stealing um, from the purse and, right. and um, conspiring behind closed doors. Um, and yet Jesus still trusted him. And yet Jesus still, invited him to, to, to trek a different path than the one he ultimately takes. That's pretty, I don't know. It's pretty interesting that I guess that's hopeful for me to think about, wow. I mean, God, God sees that in us and yet he still, he still involves us and he still invites us. Yeah, no, I mean, his, his grace is amazing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But you just look at it like uh, with Judas, I mean, he had, up to that point, I mean, he'd seen some, some healings and some miracles and he'd, he'd been around Jesus a lot and yet he still couldn't overcome that selfishness, um, you know, <laughs> and ultimately be, betrays him. Um, yeah. That, that's the selfishness is a, is a hard thing. Um, I mean, I know I've struggled with that my entire life. Yeah. What's, you know, what's the point of view that Judas is, is going into this moment with? How, how is he seeing Jesus? How is he looking at the world? Thomas, you have some thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I thought about this past couple of weeks leading up to Easter, I did a um, sermon series on when we're, when we're disappointed, we talked about, you know, the, the road to the cross. Um, and so I, I think it's pretty fascinating that uh, Judas is one of the 12, right? He's, he's right there alongside um, the other 12. He's, he's there when Jesus does some healings, as Benji mentioned, he's there. He helps divide the loaves and the fish. He goes out uh, two by two and, and preaches and sees healings um and then we we start to see a turning point in judas at a, at a pretty particular point which is the um when the woman breaks the the box and anoints jesus feet and he's there with this this money could have been given to the poor right and it seems like that 
uh, at least in Luke's telling of the story, the very next thing that happens, if I if I'm getting this correctly, is he goes and meets with the religious leaders seeking an opportunity to betray. And so scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't say specifically what Judas's motivation was. Um, certain of the gospels say that he was a thief and that he'd been stealing from the treasury and that's why he was upset. Um, but I think there's actually a, a compelling possibility that uh, Judas actually becomes disillusioned with who he wanted Jesus to be. Um, that we know that in, in the first century Judaism, there was this idea, this messianic expectation that the Messiah was going to be this uh, political military deliverer who is going to come in riding on a white horse, overthrow the foreign oppressors, right? And make, um, make Israel great again, um, really is what they were hoping for. And, and so we see Peter's disappointment when he correctly identifies Jesus as the Messiah. And then um, Jesus immediately says, well, I'm going to die. And Peter said, that, no, Messiahs don't die. Right. And so I think maybe we're seeing that with with Judas, where uh, it finally hits him. Um, and so I think there's one of two things. Uh, I think a possibility is that Judas so believed in this idea of the Messiah and believed that Jesus was it was in, was just confused. That he actually tried to force Jesus into a position uh, where he would have to come out. Um, and so if I betray him and to the hands of these people yeah. well then his hands are going to be tied and he's going to have to then straight who he is um and, and overthrow the powers at that point um i think another possibility is is that maybe he realized that the, that the jig was up and he was looking for a way out because he knew that uh if jesus died will you uh chances are that what happened to jesus would happen to his followers as well but um i think very possibly judas was was motivated by this this idea of the Messiah that, that wasn't correct um, mm -hmm. and that he was trying to force Jesus to be who he thought Jesus should be instead of accepting uh, who Jesus actually was. Uh, and I think, I think that speaks to a lot of what might be going on uh, today as well. Yeah. And does that tie back into what, what Benji and Allison were saying in terms of using Jesus for our own purposes, our own gains, or is that, is that different? It, it could, um, but I, I don't know if, if it was for selfish gain. I think, I mean, I think Judas believed that that was the way of God, right? I, yeah. I don't necessarily think that he was trying to, to get rich necessarily uh, or trying to get, become powerful. Uh, I think he really believed that that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And he had Bible verses that could back that up. Yeah. Um, you know, he would, he would go to Psalm two and he would go to some of these other places and, and I'm going to raise up a, a King like David. Right. And, um, and so I think he really thought, I really, I think he really thought he was doing the will of God, um, yeah. potentially in forcing Jesus into this position where he would have to act. Um, and that's almost scarier. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Right. To fully believe. Yeah. And that's, yeah. yeah. He, he, he'd heard too, that Jesus say that he, he was going to die. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, he was expecting that. So I think to your point, yeah, he was trying to, trying to speed it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into the narrative. Um, I'm pulling this from Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, and just sort of harmonize it into a somewhat chronological telling of this um, segment of the story. So I'm going to read, I'll share my screen. I'll read through that. And then we'll spend the rest of the time discussing, talking through that and the different pieces. So after I read it, 
what I'd like you all to share just, you know, what is it about this segment of the story that, that sticks out to you most? And then we'll start there. All right, so let me jump in here. <clears throat> All right, sent by the religious leaders, high priests and Pharisees, Judas led an armed group of Roman soldiers and temple police to the garden. They were to arrest Jesus using a signal, a kiss. Judas the betrayer was now front and center of the soldiers as he kissed his rabbi, indicating to the mob who to arrest. His actions provoked a response from Jesus. Friend, why this charade? It was clear to Jesus how things were unraveling to his detriment and the danger of himself and his friends. Jesus responded to the arresting group. Who are you looking for? They responded, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus replied, I am he. Jesus answer shook them and they stumbled back from Jesus presence. Jesus asked again, who are you looking for? Again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus proceeded to leverage his willingness to be arrested to protect his disciples. I told you that I am he. And since I am the one who you want, let these others go. They quickly grabbed and roughed Jesus up. Out of the scuffle, Peter drew his sword, attacking one of the religious leader's servants, severing his ear. Peter's actions elicited Jesus' strong response to the violence as he touched and healed the servant's wound. Put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Turning and speaking to the arresting crowd, Jesus also challenged their actions directly. Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. These things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. His once loyal disciples deserted Jesus and ran away. A young boy following from a distance was grabbed by the mob, but was able to slip away with only his bare skin. So what, what sticks out um, to you all when you, when you see this? Um, I think what's interesting for me, and I can, if you want me to pull up any particular part and share the screen, just let me know. Um, but based on what you said, uh, Thomas, about Judas, what's interesting about Peter is in, in a sim, there is seems to be a similarity in how they see Jesus. They're just on different sides of of what seems to be a similar coin. Um, so that kind of stuck out to me as you know, Peter, uh, Peter was participating in that uh, that uprising, but Christ was essentially resisting or restraining himself from leveraging that power that he clearly says he has. So what what about you all? What comes? What sticks out from this story? Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned Peter because I think Peter also had a similar expectation of Jesus, right? And back in the the scene in you know Matthew sixteen where Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, and then. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, nah, -uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Messiahs don't die. And then um, Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan. What I think is fascinating, I, I think you're right. There's a very, there's a close parallel between Judas and Peter, where Peter takes his frustration and his concern directly to Jesus, right? And rebukes Jesus. And we sort of laugh at his haughtiness. Ha, ha, ha. How dare you rebuke Jesus, mm. right? But Judas deals with his disappointment in isolation 
and he turns to people who aren't in that crowd and um and so i think it, there's a, there's a there's a sermon there on on the way that we deal with disappointment right do we do we bring our disappointment directly to god yeah. um or or do we internalize and try to deal with it on our own and, and turn to people who are outside of that um for comfort and support and direction um but i think it's a fascinating observation that they were sort of similar on the same path and dealt yeah. with it in different ways and and there was a there was a, a tension or a rejection that christ should suffer or christ um would do that and and he rebukes them and and to think you know in that in the scene you described that happens earlier where he rebukes him get behind me satan and when he rebukes him here essentially if if Peter were successful, he would have prevented the redemption of all of us, right? And that's a pretty big deal. So, so what's interesting about that is just how little we know what's happening on the, the grand scale and how much we think we know to be able to assert things to drive towards a result that we have no idea how it plays into the larger story of, of our, our life or the people we're intervening for or community or our society or the world, right? Um, it's just humbling, I guess, for, as what I would say when I, when I see that, um, what, what about you, Allison? What sticks out for you when you read this passage or when you hear it? Well, I think about Judas and having seen what he had seen, mm -hmm. he had walked with Jesus. He had seen healings. He had seen miracles. He had seen all the wonderful things that he had done and, and I just find it amazing that he didn't think about that he would know what he was doing, that, that he already knew that even when they were sitting, you know, having the last supper, Jesus said, um, one of you will betray me. And at that time, I can't believe that it didn't just, you know, really pierce Judas's heart and make him turn. He gave him an opportunity, I think, to, to change there, his direction. Um, but that just, it's just for us also. I mean, God sees everything. He knows everything. And I'm just surprised with Jesus having been right there, um, seeing all of that, that he still didn't understand, but then again, I mean, <laughs> he's human just like we are, <laughs> and we don't always think that way either. Um, yeah, I, th I think we we can easily reflect, like look back. We see the whole story here, and it's easier for us to sort of s s watch it from a distance versus when we're in the middle of it. Right. It does it does play out differently. But I, I do wonder too, when you say all that, um, because of Judas, um, posture and, and, a, and who he, his identity and his character, he, he opened himself up for this logical conclusion. And so to turn back at the last minute, it, it seems like it would almost have to be a miracle for that to, to happen. Um, I don't know how to, to articulate that any, any further, but, but it does seem like he was on a path. He chose a path that led to the, the end game that he ended up participating in. Benji, yeah. what, what about you? Well, um, 
first off, I want to go back to it's it's to me it's amazing too that um and like you said sometimes it's hard to um to see it as everything starts to go down but you know you think about Peter and John and James and just being up on the transfiguration yeah <laughs> witnessing that now here they are um in the garden and still Peter is pulling out his sword <laughs> um you know and has really bad aim because I'm pretty sure he's probably trying to knock his head off and he cuts his ear off and then <laughs> out of the compassion that Jesus has. And, um, you know, he, he heals him. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things you asked was just about, there's just such a big difference. Um, again, from, you know, in humanity, um, leading up to this, which was, you know, there was something and whether what Thomas was talking about, it's, he's got a great point there, but there was something, dark obviously brewing beneath <laughs> Judas that um that that just came out and then you look at Peter and we're such creatures of just feelings and um just reaction which I know that I've been guilty of that all the time and yeah uh, you know sometimes you try to judge God what what God is thinking and how close he is to you based on how you're feeling in your experience. And, um, it's just a good example of when he lopped his ear off, man, <laughs> he just reacted, got excited, lopped his ear off. And, and then Christ reprimands him. I mean, he's looking out from everybody there and, you know, you think about it, there's a reason that, that he's, he's going to die for us because look at all the people standing there in that garden. Um, it's no different than the garden, um, back in Eden, there's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Everybody's looking out for themselves. Um, and only Christ can save us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's <laughs> we're just yeah. proving it there. And we're still proving it. Yeah. So let's, let's jump back to the beginning. Um, so Judas uh, arrives with his entourage of, of force and power. Um, the, the, I guess the, 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 the army he wished Christ would have had, um, betrays him with a kiss. What does, what does that mean to you, to you all when you hear that? Like this thing that should be a, a friendly emotional connection with, with someone is now used as a weapon. It shows you how dark it is and how dark and and sinful, you know, what was inside him. Um, I mean, just, just thinking about that, it's awful. You know, you betray him <laughs> with a kiss. Um, I, can't, I just think it paints it in a, in a light that just shows how um, hostile and really how cowardly as well that, that people can be. Yeah. Hmm. And not but to mention it was dark. So they yeah. had to have a way to identify them. Um, yeah. And the fact that people are bringing torches, um, you know, and Christ is the light. I just find that kind of comical. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What else? I, I do. Th I do find it interesting, you know, just how much care. Jesus has towards the safety of the 
disciples in this particular yeah. moment. Um, Cause it's not, it's not always like that, but in, in this moment, it's, it's unique. He's uniquely protective. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but that's something that sticks out to me. No, I, th- I mean, I think it's, I think it's obvious. Yeah. He's looking out for the disciples and I think he's looking out really for, for everyone. Um, you know, with the healing of the ear. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, and he still, he takes the time to talk to the religious leaders and everybody there saying, Hey, I've been in your temples. I've been teaching you each and every day. And yeah. Now you come to me like I'm a robber, like I'm a, some kind of a criminal with your clubs and your and your swords, mm-hmm. and yet you could have arrested me in 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 the daylight, yeah, in front of everybody. But instead, you do it in the darkness. And um, now, in both both of these passages, both the one he he speaks to Peter, rebuking him about putting away the sword and then to the one that you just mentioned i mean he, he both of them speak of the scriptures being fulfilled how would the scriptures be fulfilled that described what must happen now things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me it's interesting that he phrases it that way um be, and i guess part of that is it because they are so familiar with these scriptures, they, they know them. They know what's, he's trying to, to point from the past to what's happening now. How, how are you all seeing that? Yeah, I would just say it's the fulfillment of God's plan. And I think you're right. I think everybody, they knew exactly the scripture that he was talking about. Mm-hmm. I guess I wonder is like, he, he could have still fulfilled it without telling us he's like transcribing it as it's unfolding in a way, you know, and what's the, the meaning of that in this, in this particular moment. Reflects God's sovereignty and his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he could have stopped it at any time. It's like, he's, I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. Ends up being like what? 72,000 angels. <laughs> that I'm not sure. of. <laughs> One would have done it for me. <laughs> um, you almost wonder if that's what Judas was hoping was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that's what he was trying to spark in that Wanted moment. To see the power. Yeah. But you know, it's funny, Thomas, they probably still would have come up with a reason not to believe. (laughs) There was one commentary that I read where um, when Jesus replied, I am he, after they asked and and, uh, he said, I am he. There was one comment, yeah, they, they, it shook them and they stumbled back. There was one that said they fell and they fell from the power Mm -hmm. of, God, when he said, I am he, 
So I am was speaking. So how, how do you interpret that? Was that a, a supernatural thing or something else or? I definitely think it was supernatural and it was for them to see that God had the power to, or that Jesus had the power yeah. to, he could have done anything in that moment to yeah. stop what was happening. And I think it may have opened their eyes a little bit to that. Um, but he chose not to because, yeah. um, number one, it was to fulfill what had been written before for all of us. And number two, because he knew what he had to do to make that happen. He was yeah. willing to do what his father had called him to do. Yeah. Hmm. Right. It's the upside down kingdom where everybody else is bringing torches, swords and clubs. And, you know, he's trying to get to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. So why, so what is it that's going on in, in terms of we, our inclination is to pick up those clubs <laughs> and start there, pull the sword as, as Peter did, right? To us. So what does Jesus mean when those who use the sword will die by the sword, put away the sword? I mean, I think Jesus understood that violence begets violence, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and we've got history that, that shows that repeatedly. Um, when, when we try to solve things with violence, it, it just leads to more violence. And, and he knew that and he understood that. Um, and he was trying to model for them a different way, right? That in the kingdom of God, that's not how, that's not how we solve things. We don't solve things with the sword. We don't solve things uh, through the the use of power over um uh he's just once again i mean even in that moment trying to trying to teach them the upside down nature of the kingdom of god um that this this isn't this isn't how the kingdom comes about it's, which again was what they all sort of expected was going to happen yeah and and i think that in in as counterintuitive as it was to not assert violence or draw the sword i mean jesus he willingly submitted to these evil men for the sake of protecting his disciples but most importantly to fulfill his mission and i do think there's something powerful about that in terms of of when we see there's the contrast, when you see the violence and the lies and the deception and the darkness, and you see Jesus submitting to submitting to these people being in silence, you know, he, he's not, there's a contrast there. That's very difficult to, to reconcile. And, and it's not something that we can ignore. It's interesting that that passage became one of the main passages that the early church drew upon for their their commitment to nonviolence. Um, mm -hmm. 
I don't know if I get the church father correct, but I think it was Tertullian who basically said that when, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed us all. Mm. Um, and that's what uh, some of the, the biggest nonviolent activists throughout history have, have drawn upon. They've understood that, that um, it's not that you don't address the injustice and the issue. It's, it's the way that you address it. Um, you know, and so when, when Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. would talk about resistance, it was always nonviolent resistance because they understood um, that violent resistance is just going to lead to more violence. Um, and so that passage sort of became the backbone for the early church's commitment to nonviolence for the first several hundred years of the church. Yeah. And, and it changed the world. So when you think about that, to, to tie back to your initial question between the church now, um, it, it wasn't always the case that the hypocrisy of the church drove people away, right? For the first 300 years, uh, it was the witness of the church that drew people in. Um, it was their commitment to love one another, to, to forsake power, especially violent power, um, for one another. And so in 300 years, the church took over an empire without ever swinging a sword. Um, and then you fast forward to now and, and it's, it's a different scenario. And I think sometimes because we have the, the power, right, we seek to use the power, um, to our own advantage or even to achieve what we think is, is God's will. Um, but we don't necessarily go about it in the right way. Uh, mm -hmm. we, you know, we seek to use that power over instead of the becoming the, the attractive community that people want to be a part of. We say, Hey, you know, we've got the majority. Right. And so because we've got the majority, we're going to wield this influence in Jesus name. Uh, and I think there's a lot of similarities between that and what Peter was doing with the sword that night. Yeah. And I guess what I'm hearing from you then is, you know, in a way that this you're seeing the sword as, as a representation of power and, and our use of and direction of that power. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Symbolically speaking. Yeah. Right. Now let's shift as he turns to the crowd. He, he gives them a similar rebuke. You know, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with me with swords and clubs? Um, so in other words, they're the, they're the instigator in the situation, um, but they're the ones coming with these weapons. So what, then he's essentially calling them out. Why didn't you just get me when I was out and about when I was, uh, you know, easily accessible? Um, and then he makes this comment about this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. That kind of sticks out to me, although I don't really know what to do with it um, other than just, you know, like, what is, what is it really, what is he really implying there? Um, but I, it, there's a contrast between these two rebukes that's, that's interesting, that's similar, but also slightly different in certain ways. I guess what it what it was it that why did he say this to the crowd? What was the reason? Why not just say nothing? Just let him arrest him. Why say this? And maybe it's to your point, Allison, that you said, you know, perhaps he was trying to speak to the people in the group in some way, to some of them, 
for some purpose that that isn't obvious to us. Well, his first statement about why did why did you come the way you did and why didn't you just arrest me in the temple where he was every day anyway? You know, I mean, that just goes back to who Jesus was. He was a man of peace and mm. um, he didn't express violence. Um, he, he wasn't violent. Yeah. And they came at him in a totally opposite way. And also, I think because darkness had overtaken uh, Judas at this time, and these are just my thoughts, but uh, darkness had overtaken Judas, which had also, you know, all these men came in darkness physically, literally, mm -hmm. and spiritually. Um, and Jesus wasn't going to fight with them. So, yeah. To the point of his second statement of this is the time when the power of darkness reigns. Yeah. I think that's the entry into, you know, the beginning of he's going to now go to the cross and, um, but that, yeah. that power, that power was going to reign at that time. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about the garden prayer that, preceded this in this moment um satan is going to throw everything he possibly can at jesus to stop this from happening so i guess it's kind of what i what that means you know is a whole nother thing but god redeeming mankind is 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 what he's what's trying to be yeah. stopped here but in 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 reality he's actually just facilitating it to yeah. happen well, and I also think that, you know, he, one of the reasons he says, you've seen me day after day in the, in the temple teaching you. So um, these are also some of the people, the guards that actually let him go. And they asked, why would you let him go? And they said, oh, we've never heard anyone speak like him. Mm. So, you know, he's pointing out <laughs> to them that they knew who he was. They know what his character was. So why do they need to bring weapons? Yeah. Um, you know, the manner and the way that they did it, the timing of it all, um, it, it was just, it was a weird, weird thing. Um, it just showed their duplicity. So mm -hmm. I, I think that was part of it. Okay. Yeah. And I think what's ironic or interesting also is just this idea that, um, I guess he's perhaps calling out the, the deception that they convinced themselves of which was that he was this dangerous revolutionary yeah. um and you know perhaps a lot of them had never even interacted with jesus directly maybe it was simply hearsay that they they bought into that deception i don't i don't know but but it is interesting that that he calls that out and then um you know ultimately when he gets accused and and, and um sentenced and then crucified you know, he's crucified as a revolutionary between two others that were also revolutionaries. And yet, at least in the revolutionary sense that the Roman Empire thought of, he was the opposite. But he was starting a revolution for the redemption of mankind, um, just in the upside down kind of way that, that you mentioned, Benji.
So the last, uh, you know, the last couple sentences, he says his, so essentially the disciples fleed. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of that in a couple different ways. Um, one, they deserted him, but two, he was also trying to protect them. So I don't, I know, I know that the, the overall sense they they ran away, but um, I, I don't know what to make, make of that fully. Um, I mean, Peter and John obviously follow into the, into the, um, the next scene where Jesus, Peter eventually denies him. And um, I think there really isn't anything else about any of the other disciples. So we don't know quite what happened, but, um, but it is ironic, you know, that Peter was so bold, maybe going back to what, what you said, Thomas, earlier about our judgmentalness and our inner hypocrisy. You know, Peter was so bold about, I'm never going to deny you, never going to deny you. And, and yet, you know, that, that unfolds. And then they also, yeah, go ahead. Fall asleep. Yeah. And then they <laughs> fall asleep. He asked three times. Yeah. Um, think back to what Thomas was saying too. I mean, they were expecting a different type of Messiah. And I think when they saw that um, he submitted to them and, and allowed himself to be arrested, their idea of this suffering Messiah isn't, isn't what they thought. And they yeah. weren't, you know, they weren't willing to stand there and, and die with him. So they ran off. Yeah. And then there's this weird part about this young boy watching yeah. and losing his clothes and running away. <laughs> and is like, is that this, is that the pot? Is that one of these disciples telling about himself, just not naming it? Or is it just some random thing? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Let Thomas answer that one. <laughs> That's an inside joke. We'll never know about find out it's sort of like you know at the uh i saw a meme recently about the the resurrection and um you know peter and john running and peter's you know john outruns peter and peter says well at least nobody will ever know and then you know john sort of winks like everyone will know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i just think you know the guy was like the the heck with this i'll run naked i don't care how shame (laughs) yeah I'm not going to sit here and die with this guy. You know, fear, panic. I mean, the guy ran off. Yeah. It's all of us. Yeah, that's all of us. The vulnerability um, that we that we have that um, when things get tough and rough and dark, um, that's, that's probably a good description of all of us <laughs> in those moments. <laughs> so as we kind of, as we look at, reflect on this whole passage here you know what do we learn about jesus what do we learn about god um what do we learn about ourselves human humanity and us personally as well what is um how is this particular passage of scripture um teaching us i mean i just think it just shows why we need a savior <laughs> mm um just, go go deeper there tell us what you mean well i mean i think you just see a good snapshot of i mean starting right there in in the garden from you know jesus is there so i mean with uh, just suffering and crying crying out to god asking him you know is this something we need to do and asking his 
disciples to sit there and stay awake and watch for him. Yeah. And yet they're asleep and they let him down right there. Um, you know, and then as the, as Judas shows up, I mean, again, it's just one more letdown after letdown of, of man, of, of humanity. And I, I mean, I think it shows when you look at the Christian worldview, right? It's, it starts off as what the supreme ethic of love. And then with love, you're going to have free will. Um, with free will, there's going to be sin. Um, and then with sin, you're going to have the need of a savior. And with the, the savior, you're going to have the hope of, of repentance. And I think that's all summed up right there. Um, we're just, I don't know, we're all in need of a savior. Yeah. And it's, it's really just, I don't know, inspiring or compelling, powerful to think that despite all of those failures that you just described, God still invited us to participate (laughs) knowing all of that about us. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's humbling for me to just think, wow, God really, he, he didn't leave us out and go, well, you know, he, he, he filled the gaps and all of those, he, he anticipated all of these things and he made his plan according to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, one way to look at it too is before there was Easter, there was Gol- Golgotha. Before there was Golgotha, there was Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one, <laughs> one horrible look at humanity as God justifies us through the cross mm-hmm. his love and his mercy and his compassion, which we see yeah. Jesus standing there in the garden. So what would you say to someone that's like, well, God must be a monster for allowing him for allowing all of this to unfold. It's one thing for Jesus to sacrifice himself, but it's another for God to, to allow this terrible thing to unfold. Right. What would you say to that? Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I it depends on the person. Yeah. Really. Um, I, I've just always heard it say that said that you could always give a um, what a, a right answer. <laughs> yeah. In the wrong kind of way. Um, I guess it would have to be depending on what's behind the reason that person is asking that Mm -hmm. Hmm. which i guess kind of gets back to the the judas point of view right Mm -hmm. how why like why would god subject himself to this terrible tragedy he's god and thus all powerful and and maybe that was to your point the the love he, he was missing that part of his understanding of God was the love piece. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. You know, the other thing of this, it just shows too, that there, and as far as humanity goes, um, even all throughout the gospel, you see that as Jesus is doing these things, there, there are people that believe and there are still people that don't believe. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing there. And that's what you're seeing today as well. There's just going to be some people that, that, that don't want to believe no matter what miracles or what signs 
um, God gives to them. I mean, we have the gospels, we have the Bible, we have, um, yeah. And, you know, people still aren't going to believe. Yeah. And I think you just have to have this experience with, with Christ, like, like we've had to see his goodness that comes through, um, and his grace. Cause I, I can tell you there's, for me, there's, there'd have been no way through it. I mean, I lost my dad when I was 19. He died of a heart attack playing tennis and I was eaten up with anger and bitterness my entire life. And really it wasn't until, until my little girl got sick and I finally saw Christ for who he was and his saving grace that, that I really did, did believe. What, what was, um, what was the veil that, that was hiding Christ from you? Was it your bitterness and anger? Yeah, bitterness and anger, and honestly, just not, not having. I mean, not not putting him first in my life. I mean, that was the biggest thing. I always used to hear and, and see. You know, you'd read and you got to put God first. You got to love Jesus more than your parents, more than your than your than your children. And I never could understand that. And I understand it. If you put God first and you love Him more. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better daddy. You'll be a better friend, a better neighbor, a better employer. And, you know, when Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain, mm-hmm. you know, if you switch it out and you put to live as job, to live as family, to live as my children, then to die is to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And I think only Christ and full faith in, in him and trust in him. Can you see that to die is to gain? Yeah, it's. And I, cause everything else is temporal. Yeah. And it really isn't until I lost my daughter. I never saw it that way. Hmm. I never saw it that way. I, I, and I guess you'd say that, that it's, you know, the suffering isn't the opposite of a blessing, but it's in the sufferings that you can find the blessings and mm-hmm. the blessings. It, it's God. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. What, what else, uh, Allison, what, anything you would add? I just don't think we have the capacity to understand the grace of God over our lives. And when I say that, I mean, you can take it right back to how he interacted that day um, when they came to arrest him and how he really showed love toward all of them, even though they were there to hurt him. Yeah. You know, I believe that our suffering in our lives, I know for myself personally, that suffering has drawn me closer to God. It's mm-hmm. drawn me into a more intimate relationship. Um, and it's made me want to know him more. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I don't think until we really understand what happened on that cross for us. I, I just don't think, I don't believe we can, we can't do it in our own strength. We just, we can't live for Christ. We can't die, Benji, for Christ until we understand what it's done for us. Um, I believe that with all my heart. And it, it, it's so counterintuitive. I mean, you know, you're, it doesn't even make sense sometimes, some of it. And just some of the things that you said about, you know, love God more than your parents, more than your children, more than, you know, I heard that most of my life, but I couldn't comprehend that. I couldn't understand that. I mean, those people were right there with me. Yeah. Where God was at a distance, I thought. Yeah. In my world, he was. And so, for me. Um, so, I think until you can fully, you know, you really seek him to know him. And I think if you ask him and invite him uh, to show you, then he'll absolutely do it. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Cool. Thomas, what what uh, what would you add to that? Well, I think in the in the gospel stories, the the disciples are meant the, their their function in the narrative is to help us see ourselves, right? Um, mm. The way that they respond is, is the way that that we can intend to respond as well. And so we we see ourselves in the impetuousness of Peter, and you know um, we realize that you know we probably could deny, doubt, uh, maybe even betray. And I think the whole story is just a reminder that um, the way that God does things is not necessarily the way that we would do things. Mm -hmm. um, that the, the path that, that Jesus took to secure victory isn't the path that anybody expected, right? Even though he said, you know, this is what's written in the scriptures. Nobody reading the scriptures believed that that, you know, understood that was going to be the case. And so it's just a reminder to us, I think, that as we, as we seek the kingdom of God in his will, this idea of, of power flipped upside down, um, right? Are we, are we willing to take the hard road to uh, where God wants us to be? Or are we going to try to find the shortcut, whether that's forcing you know, forcing Jesus into a position that we, he has to act in the way that we want him to, or, or taking up our sword and defending Jesus, because we think that that's what he needs us to do, as opposed to just mm. um, following and trusting and obeying. And so uh, I think it, we see the juxtaposition, Jesus is where we want to be, but we see ourselves in those uh, disciples. And it's just a matter of honesty. Um, you know, in, in what ways am I, am I trying to force God into my box? Um, in what ways am I trying to take up my sword to defend God and my view of God or my view of how things should be when God doesn't need me to defend him, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> um, He's a big boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, right. And, and, and how do I just, how do I just follow? Um, but in that also recognizing the grace that, that Jesus was patient with these guys, right? Jesus was patient with Peter. He restored Peter. And I 100% believe that, that Jesus would have restored Judas had Judas yep. uh, taken that opportunity. 
I, I don't believe for a second that Judas was absolutely condemned um, because of that. I, I think that had he shown up on the beach that morning, uh, that Jesus would have given him breakfast as well. Um, right. And so I think it, that talks to what do we do with our shame? Uh, when we fail, because we're going to fail, where do we turn? Um, do we turn back and, and pour out our heart to God? Or do we, you know, uh, Judas, he opened his heart to the wrong people. Um, you know, so when we fail, what do we do with that shame and that disappointment? Do we give it to God and allow ourselves to be forgiven? Um, you know, or, or do we deal with it inward and, and turn away? Uh, and I think, again, comparing Peter and Judas, some some cautionary tales there, right? Uh, Peter Peter opened himself up to Jesus again and, and allowed himself to receive forgiveness. And I think Judas's shame kept him from doing that. Uh, yeah. So. so, So what would be a step if someone said, I, I want that. How would they step out of that shame? How would they practically do what you just were describing? What would be a next uh, step for them? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if they know how to pray, it, it would, it would be as simple as, uh, Lord, I'm ashamed, <laughs> you yeah. know, just, just confession, right. Um, you know, a simple prayer of confession, uh, and, and we know from scripture that if, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I go back to my King James upbringing, um, <laughs> um, you know, and then to find a, find a community of, of grace filled Christians. Um, and sometimes that can be difficult, unfortunately. Um, but people who have been through it, uh, you know, to turn to people who are going to accept you and say, Hey man, I, I, I or, not necessarily a man, hey, hey person, hey you, I've, <laughs> I've been there um, before, yeah. you know, uh, finding a community of, of grace-filled believers and, you know, opening your heart to God in, in full um, confession, knowing that God is gracious and forgiving and that if, if God could forgive Peter, um, God can forgive us. Yeah. I think um, Charles yeah, said that sometimes the shortest prayers are the best. So Lord help. <laughs> help. <laughs> so Benji, Allison, uh, what would you say is a, what's something we can do practically to add to what Thomas said to apply what we've studied today? I just think what Thomas just said, I think he nailed it. I don't want to try to even add anything to it because <laughs> it's an intentional Yeah. Intentional with seeking God, you know, um, I, it's interesting. I always used to think about Matthew six thirty four. you know, don't worry about um, tomorrow for tomorrow, have enough worries of worries of its own. Um, but I never looked at Matthew six thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> seek first um, his righteousness um, and his kingdom and all will be provided mm -hmm. for. And, you know, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that, you know, pretty much you, every day you've got to get up and, and start all over again, believing and seeking him. Um, and I just think it, people got to make an effort. I mean, he's there, it says he stands there and he knocks at the door. Um, but there, it, it, you know, we, there is some, we have to react and we have to look for him and listen to him. He gave us what eyes to see and ears to hear. So um, it is on us to seek them. Um, yeah. And I think what Thomas said, you know, I think you got to pay attention to, to also to what you're bringing into your life. Cause I think there's a, 
a tendency now with, again, with all the media and everything that's going on that, um, you know, I look at it like if you go into the ocean, you go to the beach with your family and you put your towel down and you go into the ocean and you're just kind of daydreaming, um, thinking about, you know, work and what's coming up next and you get out of the ocean and then you're like, where, where'd my family go? You can't find them. And then you look up and they're a thousand yards down the beach. And I think life can be like that. If you're not being intentional, if you're not surrounding yourself with people, if you're not praying and, and, and sharing with each other, I, I think you can drift away and, and not even realize it. So I think just there needs to be some intentionality with, yeah. um, with praising and worshiping God. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Allison, any final thoughts to wrap us up? I, I absolutely agree. With both, with both of you, I believe that it's the prayer. I mean, it's the relationship with God. It's coming to him and opening your heart to receive um, forgiveness because he's right there for you. And when I say forgiveness, I mean, that's the release and the cleansing of any guilt and shame that, you know, you carry. Um, and then I also, you know, what you said about being in community with other people that are um, grace-giving people. Um, it's really important to have that in your life and you may run across where you don't have that. And um, it's, it's okay just to back away from that and keep seeking because God will bring the right ones into your life. I truly believe that. I think being in the moment of the day, you know, going back to that scripture where you were talking about um, not worrying about tomorrow, um, being in the moment and paying attention to what's going on around you, who God has in your life, um, who is speaking into your life and what they're saying and whether it's, um, whether it's something that would um, lift you up and encourage you and build you up or whether it's something that would tear you down and um, to decipher to um, what what is good for you and what is not. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you all for, for participating in this discussion. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Lots of great um, sharing for sure. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. yeah. For the opportunity. This was, this was fun. Cool. Nice to meet you, Allison and Benji. Nice meeting you, Thomas. Thank you, Jason. Allison. So much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.